Hello everyone and welcome back to Breaking Bread. This is the Birmingham Food Podcast presented by Food Obsessed Mates, Liam and Carl. I'm Liam. I'm Carl and I'm currently looking at my dog. He's just literally found the noisiest part of the floor to stand on. And he's just going around in circles. How's things, mate? Yeah, good, good. Apart from the old COVID's getting a bit worse. Not that I haven't got it, but... <laughs> <laughs> this tier systems came in I think since our last episode and it's caused a bit of a nightmare yeah that's cleared everything up hasn't it (laughs) (laughs) it's all I feel so bad for the restaurants again it feels like last time before they announced the furlough scheme and it's like so they're not saying for pubs to close but they are advising people not to go to them which isn't helpful in the slightest it's like the exact opposite of eat out to help out yeah it's a nightmare yeah it's just we could talk well, we have really just spoke for ages about how awful the political thing is at the minute. Oh, yeah. And that, that's a whole... It's not even just a whole episode. That's a whole series, if you get me started on it. From a, a restaurant and hospitality point of view in Birmingham, it's hard not to feel just really sorry for all our uh, friends in the industry again. Well, I said, I think it's something like 2 or 4% of cases are down to hospitality. And you're like, the fuck you picking on hospitality for over them sitting in my house i don't feel safer anywhere else other than a restaurant because you got the track and trace you've got the names and the addresses you have to put a mask on to move everyone's taking precautions it's literally it's safer than going to the supermarket 100 percent. it's ridiculous and yeah like i said we could just do without it to be honest in the industry i don't think it's making any difference in this stupid 10 o'clock curfew if you've banned people hanging out together and you can only hang out with people in your household why do you need a 10 o'clock curfew because you're only with people that you live with yes yeah, so for like my birthday a couple of weeks ago I went to ofim we all sat obviously socially everything was socially distanced the waiters waitresses all had masks on everything was like really safe like extra safe perfect 10 o'clock we're all outside all of a sudden it's like hundreds of people on the streets of Birmingham yeah, all on buses trains cars fucking all stood together it's i've never seen anything more ridiculous so yeah as we said we don't want to go on forever about this and moan about it. we do want a little moan about it though because yeah, i feel yeah, it's important about what they're doing they're fucking it up big not only they just fucking it up they're just really fucking it up mm, i agree and for us i mean We've probably we were planning on finishing season two, like December, maybe early December, end of November. But we were going to have a month break for December. Obviously, it's a good time to have a bit of time off and mm. spend time with family. But for now, we're just going to have to play it by ear. So, so you might get another one. We have so. episodes planned. Whether they can go ahead. One thing: if we go into tier three and all of a sudden all the restaurants have to shut or tier four whatever tier four is going to be then there's no point in releasing an episode that's trying to promote a restaurant if the restaurant's closed it's not fair to them if things change like that and all of a sudden we, we might record something between the two of us just explaining this might be the end of season two but rest assured we'll be back stronger than ever come season three in january we're just going to play it by ear and wait and see. So you just have to keep tuning in. Yeah, and we've got great ones lined up for got next some year. Cracking ones lined up. 
really excited about some of the ones like next year like we've recorded good ones this year and we've got good ones to record still that hopefully we can do but next season we've got some great people lined up so like i was saying we're just gonna keep on keeping on and hoping to bring you these episodes but if things change we'll change yeah so just get, you get what you're given keep looking for us and we'll we've got one coming. to give you we'll give you it We've got no plans on stopping altogether. We still want to do what we do. We love doing the podcast. Love talking about how brilliant Birmingham and the food scene is and all our friends that we've made now. And we've, this, I feel like this episode we've got for you today is one of the best. Oh, yeah, it's a great episode. Really, really good. It's with Andy Low and Slow, Andy Stubbs. Everyone, like, if you've ever been Digbeth Dines, chances are Andy's there. It's, it's just like a phenomenal whole kind of street food barbecue yeah i mean he knows everyone there's no one you can mention to him that does anything to do with birmingham that he doesn't know and know well he's just like ingrained into the birmingham food scene isn't he he's a massive part of that and i feel like we were really lucky to have him on the podcast i'm really glad that he wanted to do it yeah we got to go over and see where he worked although he's moving now i think he's moved now hasn't he this was the, was that the last week at his current place? That was his yeah. I feel like he's moving now, so he's doing the new place. Sounds awesome. There's like a barbecue school. Yeah, we go over this this barbecue school. I'm very very excited about. He's gonna be able to do a few events from there. Is oh, it just sounds awesome. I mean, you can see the excitement when you're talking to him. Like he can't wait to get down. His current location, it's not ideal. There's uh, a kitchen upstairs above a factory. <laughs> And then the smokers outside and down loads of stairs, like so. It's just a nightmare for him to have to carry all that stuff, like so. His new place is just—it's—it's it's exactly what he needs. So we went over that. We talked about the Kickstarter and everything that happened with that and the complications that have happened since. And I think Andy was happy to get a bit off his chest about that. And yeah, it's a hard position. We talk about the food in Birmingham quite a bit. He's—he's he's a massive champion for the food in Birmingham. I think. Is somebody that believes we can all push to do better because he's done so well for himself. You know, he's not a traditional chef. He never went to catering college or any of that. No, he just fell in love with it and really went for it, didn't he? And then spent like every day striving to be better than he was the day before. And that really comes across in the podcast and I love it. One of the things he talks about, which hasn't, it's kind of like brewed underneath the surface of the podcast a few times we never really talked about completely which was mental health yeah it takes up a big part of the podcast i think and it's, it's, it should do as well it's, it's such an under talked about thing it's something that's it, it affects men in particular and it well it affects all people really it all the to time everyone, but it seems like the suicide rate for men with mental mm. health is it way outstrips and i think chefs as well it seems to affect I chefs i think maybe the high pressure of the job and the long hours and the expectations put on you yeah and I, I feel like there's still although it's changing like men probably don't like to talk about mental health as much and it is changing a little bit but it's still yeah, it's my, job, my job i've had a few issues of late and i've spoke to my boss about stuff and he's giving me numbers to call and other people to speak to yeah. companies take it seriously now and we heard jamie obviously talking about what they do at um harborn kitchen for their stuff and i'm just really happy Andy was able to talk about it and talk quite openly about some of the troubles he's come across and some of the organisations that he's spoke to to try and get help about it and we'll put the links for 
all them places in the show notes i'll also put the links for like khan and stuff in there as well mm. i think that's uh, something really important to both of us and obviously really important to andy so i was really glad about that but yeah it's just an episode with both well all three of us i think we're really proud yeah it's ring. really good i loved it was a great episode. So this is an hour and 20, which is a bit longer than our usual, and we try and aim for an hour, but there's no way this could have been any smaller, and I feel like there could even be a, a second episode in the future with Andy, you know? Yeah, easily. Yeah, so obviously I don't think you need us to tell you any more about how great Andy is. And yeah, you're about to hear how great. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. So ladies and gentlemen, Andy Stubbs, Andy Low and Slow, enjoy. Obviously, a big warm welcome to Breaking Bread. This is Andy Stubbs, the king of street food. Ooh. He's cringing, <laughs> cringing as I say that. Everyone knows him better as Andy Low and Slow. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm excited to be on um, and just talk to you guys, man. I've been listening to the podcast the last couple of weeks. I think they're really cool. So excited to tell a little bit about myself and what I've got coming up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm desperate to hear it, to be honest, because... Street food's a little bit different to restaurants. Like, I think a restaurant, it's easier for a restaurant to tell the story. So, like, we had eight and Andrew Sheridan on our last episode. And he'd done a very good job of making sure that, letting us know that eight was him. Like, that was his life's journey. Yeah. So, you you can't control every aspect of the um, experience for the customer when you're a street food. Yeah, that's very, yeah, yeah. It is hard. Uh, We try um, and we do our best kind of thing. There are limitations, but... um, yeah, we'll get there one day. <laughs> it's, it's also, I think, quite hard because you get a lot less time with the customer. Yeah, I'm always getting in trouble by Donna because um, the minute somebody asks me a question about the food or the meat, I'll tell them the farmer's name and the, the pig's name. And <laughs> Donna's like, Andy, you've got a queue of 50 people in front of you. like, And I'm, I'm sat there talking about like the, the ice like, and the ageing and all these kind of weird stuff. And yeah, so um, I like to engage with people. I'd like to be able to spend more time. But um, that's what I use my social media for to show people what I'm doing, who I'm working with, what I'm working with, and all that kind of stuff. We'd like to start by going kind of way, way back. Okay. Uh, so how long have you been doing the Andy Low and Slow? Oh, thing? man, it feels like, it feels like forever. Um, I think we're like seven and a half years in now. So um, it kind of started from my love of music and like Jamaican food and um, going down to Nottingham Carnival as a like a younger DJ and um, I used to do a lot of pirate radio and raves illegal raves and all that kind of stuff when I was like in my 20s and we used to get into Nottingham Carnival every um, every year and I'd see all the guys with the jerk pans and like there'd just be clouds of smoke and all the music that I loved and just the culture of it and all and I was just like I had nothing like that where I grew up um, in Cheslin Hay um, by near Cannock kind of thing. I think you guys know that area, don't you, a bit? I know, um, yeah. You know better than yeah, I Yeah, like little, um, predominantly white white village, so I couldn't get any, like, Caribbean food. Um, like, basically, you had you had a Chinese takeaway, you had an Indian takeaway, and anything else you wanted, you had to come into the city or cook yourself. Mm. So I was just like, I'm just going to learn to cook this myself. I was inspired. Um, so I just started cooking at home, um, got loads of early Jamie Oliver cookbooks, believe it or not. Um, yeah. I always big Jamie up. Um, I haven't met him, but I've got a lot of friends who know him personally, and he's been a big inspiration to me. I think he gets a lot of crap. He does, yeah, um, he does. I think he gets a lot of crap, and if you think about really what he's done, um, like opened up home cooking and made it accessible to people, um, I credit him for like 
like, I didn't know chefs. I'd never met any chefs or anything like that. So I just saw this cocky geezer on the TV. <laughs> so yeah, I just saw that Jamie Oliver show where he went to America. And I just saw, it was my first real time of seeing like American food. that I wasn't aware there was a massive scene over here for barbecue. So I just started cooking it at home. And at first, like we were just grilling bits or even cooking it in the oven. And then that's yeah. when we got, um, well, I got made redundant from my job, which what, was... What was your job? Panel wiring. Oh, yeah. Um, and I say panel wiring, it was like a... It was, it was, I worked for this little tiny company in um, Chesney, Nay, the little village where I lived in, and basically they wouldn't teach us schematic drawings or anything like that. It was kind of like we were robots, we'd check in to nine to five. Yeah, they didn't want you to get too far ahead of yourself. Yeah, so if they, if they taught us how to do it, they'd have to pay us proper money. So, yeah. I mean, for me, it was a stopgap um, like kind of thing. I didn't know where I was going with my life. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a bit beaten up as in I didn't. No, didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something creative. So, like I said, I'd I'd finish work on a Friday, get the train down to London, and be partying in Brixton all weekend, and then come back on a Sunday night and go to work, and just be like, oh my god, <laughs> what have I been doing all weekend? <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I got made redundant from there. That's probably like nine years ago. Probably nine years ago this Christmas coming. How did that feel getting made redundant? Was you? scary as hell I was going to say was mm. it a, yeah man like, a release or was it a uh oh it was kind of like a release and like at first I was petrified because thinking back now I shouldn't have been because I lived with my mom. I had no mortgage me and Donna had no children still don't have any children um, I don't know why I'm telling you that but um, <laughs> <I'm not laughs> if anyone's interested I have no children I thought there was an announcement coming then that was no, no, say, no, no, maybe no. this isn't no, the place we, to we, announce that we've got barbecues um, <laughs> so yeah so I got made redundant um, and just didn't know what to do and I was determined to not go back to that day job um, an example of how much I hated that day job would be I used to walk to work in the morning and I couldn't face going to work um, and I would just literally walk past the building and be walking around the local fields and Donna would call me she'd be like how's work today and be like I'm sat on a hill mm, like Jesus. yeah just throwing stones at a lake or something because I was just like I hated it man um, but I kind of look at them times now as in like that made me stronger because when I got made redundant it was a case of I can't go back to that world I can't go back to them guys who get their like wages in a brand envelope and that'll buy them four chicken chow mein seven pints of carlin ten and a half benton and edgies and razzle magazine every friday do you know what i mean like i couldn't live my life like that so well, there's nothing of, wrong with razzle magazine no no Come i still now. buy it every 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 <laughs> week but um <laughs> but like that's the kind of like i mean i'm not knocking them people i know and everybody i'm not knocking anybody who does works in that world but yeah. i wanted more like kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, just I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I wasn't very good at school because I was average at school. A um, little bit naughty, as a lot of us were. Um, just hated it, really. All I wanted to do was skateboard, um, like go to parties, DJ, girls, drink, all that kind of stuff that you do when you're a, a naughty teenager living yeah, in a little yeah, village. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like from an early age, I'd always gone into the city. So when I got made redundant, it was about the time when Digbeth Dining Club was starting. So I started, um, I think we just started, we did a pop-up in my mum's garage and we just invited like 10, 15 of the lads from the local pub. Yeah. And we just cooked a couple of pork shoulders and set up like my nan's pasting table. What, was, what did you cook them in? Um, I think probably just the oven or something. It wasn't even barbecue, man. It was like, literally, yeah. I went down to the village bakery and bought like 20 cobs for 6p each, <laughs> bottle of barbecue sauce and like just cooked this pork shoulder um, from the local butchers 
cooked it for like 20 hours overnight like my mum's house stunk of pork still does now I think like yeah. <laughs> and I haven't even cooked in there for like five years but um, yeah it was awesome man like all the local lads come down we all just sat on my drive eating pulled pork and stuff and it kind of gave me a glimmer of hope thinking oh people kind of like what I'm doing yeah, and I got a buzz off it man like I created this little thing I created this little bit of hype I mean it was 10 people but um, that was the first like kind of glimpse into the future of what I could do something really interesting yeah put a smile on your face yeah, and thought like, yeah maybe a little bit. I'm a bit of a moody bastard but like <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> how did you go from that night at your mum's garage to thinking I'm going to take this to Digworth Dines it was quite organic really um, I think we did that for a couple of weeks and then we we got invited to the local pub to just do a little thing on a Saturday afternoon yeah. I think it was like a summer so like the weather was okay um, and I'd got myself a little barbecue I think I bought myself a, like a pro um, which is like the little like a Weber WSM um, yeah. tiny little thing rickety little thing um, and I remember just staying up all night and it was raining and I was putting tarpaulin over the building like dens like you would when you was a kid. <laughs> yeah. A bit like what I've got outside here, actually. Um, but yeah, just staying up all night trying to figure out how to like get the airflow right into the smoker and how to keep it running for 20 hours and all this stuff. And then we'd take it all down to the pub. We bought ourselves a little gazebo, borrowed another one of my nan's pasting tables. And we had like this little old school 70s um, cool box that my dad had had like um, so it literally looked like a shoot from like a 70s like sitcom or something yeah. all these like camping stoves like no equipment I hadn't got a clue what I was doing like apart from I just love cooking and we started doing that like on a Saturday afternoon and then that went to like maybe serving 30 people or something like that did you have any sort of reference for like how to smoke stuff because it's quite I've started doing it recently it's not easy to keep it going I was going to say for a as long well, time. that was eight years ago nobody was really doing that then not in Birmingham anyway I, I don't I, I think maybe there was a couple of guys in Birmingham doing it but obviously me not being from Birmingham I was totally unaware um, and obviously there's the whole American Barbecue Society and all the guys who do the competition barbecue in England but um, I was completely unaware of that so I just kind of watch YouTube videos and yeah, just watch YouTube videos and just lit yeah. loads of fires and threw loads of meat in a fire. And just like <laughs> what sticks happened. in it. I was just seeing what, <laughs> what happened kind of thing. And I just kind of, I never really messed anything up. It was like, I mean, pork shoulder is probably the easiest one. That was what I was cooking at the time. And it's like, the only thing to do with pork is just give it time. Like literally, like eventually, if you give pork shoulder enough heat consistently for a, a given time, it will no fall, fall apart. Um, and there was times sometimes when it was raining where we'd have to stick it in the oven again and finish it off and it was just yeah it was a nightmare but we did it and we were getting more people interested in what we did which was pretty cool mm, nice did you approach Digbeth Diner did they approach you I approached them um, I sent Jack a little message I don't know how I got his number I was like can, you, can I bring some food up for you to try please <laughs> mister and I remember like the first night we went up there there was me um me, Donna, and a friend of mine, a guy who used to work with me. And I took it in like this little Tupperware tub, a bit of my brisket chili, which I still cook now. And it was like, at the time, Digworth Dining Club was nothing like what you know it now. It was like, you know, the back car park. Yeah, so in the they, pictures. They only, yeah. Had, um, they only had one venue then, which was Spotlight. So it was, and there was no cover. It was, so it was literally, it was like, I think it was Meat Shack, Mexican Bean, and Jabberwocky, some guys who used to do toasties. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just pouring down and there was just 
it was basically just Jack and Swinney and all them boys, like, um, and just a load of their mates, just having a bit of a party and got a bit of food on kind of thing. And I, I met Jack, gave him the food, um, had an awesome burger, had some cool food, went home. And Jack texted me the next morning. I think he'd been out partying and he had this brisket chilli for breakfast. <laughs> and he was like, I love it. Um, let's get you involved. And I think at the time, they probably only had like less than 10 traders on rotation. And there's probably less than that who were Birmingham traders. Yeah. There was guys coming from like other parts of the Midlands. And um, I was just really nervous because I, I didn't really have any equipment or anything. So I said, you just need to give me a bit of time. I need to sell a few more crusty cobs down at the local <laughs> pub and save up. So that's what we did. We just saved up um, a bunch of money. Every single bit of money we made, we reinvested. First bits of equipment I bought was my Parry Griddle and a Bay Marie and a good solid gazebo. And I still say now to anyone starting street food, them are three things like a good griddle, solid gazebo, spend money on a good gazebo. And you're rolling then, a couple of tables, just nick them off your nan like I did for a bit and then treat yourself <laughs> to some patrons as you go on. And then, yeah, um, and I, I think I remember my first Digbeth Dining Club was actually, I was filling in for someone I was doing a marketing Wolverhampton Town Centre and um, I can't remember the details of it, but Jack was like, can you come up and do Digbeth tonight? I was like, well, I'm in Wolverhampton. We, and we ended up doing it. We ended up getting there like an hour and a half late because obviously I'd been working all day. And um, yeah, I just remember like I was in a little fiesta and like we had like buns on top of Donna's <laughs> head and all this equipment, like picnic blankets and all like my nan's tables and everything. It was like, I was shitting myself. I was so nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, it just went from there then. And we just started doing a few more events. I started doing the markets in like the sketch markets in the middle of town, um, like New Street. Um, yeah. Started doing them. I used to do them on my own. And like, if I made 200 quid, I thought I was rich. Cause like, if I made 200 quid in a day, I mean, that wasn't profit. That was just like a gross 200 quid. Yeah. But like in my old job, I'd, it'd take me a week to make that. So yeah. I was like, fucking hell, I'm gonna get myself a bottle of Moe tonight, mate. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get two meals from the Chinese takeaway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm gonna get myself an extra spring roll and a bottle of Moe. Yeah, so yeah, it was just- only just as well as a razzle. Yeah, man. What grade did the lads max? So yeah, it was just a case of, um, it was just a natural progression. I didn't try and push myself too hard. I just tried to learn, um, like learn what I was doing, better myself, read loads of books, meet loads of chefs, and just keep on progressing naturally. Really, what books was it? Did you can you remember, or do you have any you recommend? Was, yeah, I think it was like we was talking about earlier, the Pitkey book. Yeah, it's um, great book. I bought a couple of um, American books, and as much I'm a bit weird with American barbecue, so I absolutely adore American barbecue, like as in Texas barbecue. But I've never been a carbon copy of. Like I love using their influences, but I've always been about making it British, so using our meat and making it my own. So the Pick You book was the first like time I'd seen these British guys talking about farming and talking about proper charcoal and talking about like all these amazing techniques I see in America, but using like British food, like seasonal, like, I mean, in that Pick You book, there's like broccoli recipes and stuff in yeah, there, as well as like mental. sausage and brisket and... Obviously, Neil Rankin was a big part of that book and Pit Q. Um, Neil Rankin was a massive inspiration to me when I first set up the business. Um, I remember going down to Smokehouse when he was in, I think it was North London, um, when he was a part of that group and eating like short ribs down there and stuff and just being blown away. Um, so, yeah, I think it was that early English kind of influence in the American barbecue that really pushed me to kind of try and create my own little 
take on American barbecue. Yeah. Come on. At what point did you start concentrating more on the ingredients? Because anyone who follows you on social will see you don't use basic ingredients, like your meat. Yeah, yeah. It's um, well sourced. And I mean, that was from the start, really. It stems back to there was a little local butchers in Chesney where um, I always went direct to them. And I'd always be kind of like, I'd go into the back where they were cutting the meat and they used to get really annoyed with me because I'd just be in there asking questions and they'd be trying to butcher <laughs> a, like, a pig or a cow. I'd be like, what's that bit doing? And like, where's that? And like, how do you do this? And give me that sork or anything. And I was just obsessed with it. Um, and from there, just like kind of started learning about like dry aging and different breeds of cows and just realizing that not all animals are the same just because they look the same. And then just on a quest, I've always been quite an obsessive person. I was like it with my DJing. Um, and I just wanted to get to the the kind of the best that I could get my hands on. It was quite hard at the time because I couldn't afford at the time, obviously in Birmingham eight years ago, I couldn't charge nine quid for a um, pulled pork bun. And I couldn't use free range pork as such because I didn't have that much access to it. And it was just too expensive. I didn't yeah. know how to price a dish. I didn't know like... I didn't know anything about that kind of thing. So it was just a natural progression again, where watching what Neil and the guys and Tom at PitQ and all them lot did, and just like seeking out. I remember buying meat from like Turner and George in the early days and stuff like that, and just going to farms and just picking their brains. A lot of them used to get pissed off with me because they'd be like, why are you asking me where my meat comes from? I'm like, why don't you know where your meat comes from? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Tell me like, and I wasn't aggressive. I was like, I'm really fucking interested. Like. What breeds that cow? How have you dry aged it? Like, what name was its mom? And all, do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. And a lot of people just shut me down. They didn't want to know because they thought I was like EHO or something. I was just like, no, I just want to like, I, I want to perfect this and I want to learn this and I want to put some amazing food out to people at Birmingham and like just do something a little bit different and a little bit cool. It's not even that. It's the, I mean, I've this year started using Will and Flame Coal. Yeah. And you're right. What you were saying about pick you when they're talking about the different wood and different coals you can use the the charcoal mix it's oh, such completely, a big difference completely yeah um it's kind of like i went on this quest to find all this amazing meat and stuff um like i said seeking out butchers um like just doing research on different breeds and how long and just getting butchers to age things for me and finding that secret spot of like 60 70 days whatever i preferred but then I found, like you say, with the charcoal, it was kind of like, why would I spend all this money on this amazing dry aged rare breed cow, then cook it over like a pile of shit, yeah. basically. Yeah. And it's kind of like, so for me, the raw essence of what I do is really, really good meat that are native breed animals to this country, um, supporting British farmers, and then cooking it with simple salt and pepper, little bit of garlic or onion granules, um, like for example, this seems like a prop, doesn't it? But I've got this um, <laughs> tub of seasoning in front of me, and that's just my my house pork seasoning. It's just garlic, onion, paprika, salt and pepper. Um, so yeah, just seasoning the this beautiful produce really simply, and cooking it just over either really good charcoal or really good wood. Mm. Um, and then the minute like for years, my friend Matt, who was founder of Oxford Charcoal, he was trying to get me to use his charcoal, and I just couldn't afford to. I couldn't I couldn't get my head around how it was like double the price of the blue bag stuff that a lot of people commonly use yeah. that you'll see uh, across the country. 
but then when I started using, I, I remember opening this bottle of um, this bag of blue bag charcoal, and I found an old glove and half a brick in there, and I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck is this, man?" Like literally, I was like, <laughs> "Like, am I going to find a body in here soon?" <laughs> yeah. So I did a bit of research and found out that it was like, I think it was, I can't remember exactly, and the, some of these blue bag ones come from different parts, but it's basically like stripping the rainforests and just nasty old like wood and. The process of charcoal making, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on the process of charcoal making, but like the basics of it is if they're using crap wood and they don't do their job properly, they're not like getting rid of a lot of their crap. So that's why when you first light a fire, you'll smell that horrible, like chemically smell. Yeah. And that's and that's not even using chemical lighters. That's just some of the tars and the different things in the wood. So yeah, I just got back to, I started using the good charcoal um, and the good wood. And things just started to fall into place. It was all starting to look like I can make Texas barbecue, but I can use British meat. I can use and and all these people were coming with my friends. So Matt from Oxford Charcoal, who is now Wetland Flame, I consider him one of my best mates. Will the farmer is a guy who we chat about meat, we text each other kind of thing. I go up to the farm, his mum makes me a slice of cake whilst I'm making the sausages and stuff. It's it's really cool um, that I can call these people friends and have a really good working relationship mm. with them. Because I can relay that, going back to where we started about, like, um, relaying that back to the customers and stuff, which that makes me happy, man. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense now, because you were saying, like, when somebody just says, like, oh, house things, and then you start telling them everything. Yeah, yeah. Like That's just, because you would want to know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Um, and I kind of encourage people. I've probably got myself in trouble a bit before, because I know not everybody either wants to or can afford to. I don't like to believe that you can't afford to, because if you're good with GP and costing dishes, you can, you can get a, a more expensive dish on the menu, take a little bit of hit on the GP on that, and then your other dishes might be hiring GP so that balances you out rather than just being a money grabbing soul sucking bookers buying mother lover kind of thing like yeah. you can use some really good meat and balance understand it and put your heart into what you're cooking and hopefully in return that's done me well so far and I'm known as the guy who you obsessed with meat and fire yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like them signs behind you from meatopia like when I got the call up for meatopia that was for me when my confidence really came through um so that was obviously my dream and for me it's like the world cup of meat it's, yeah. yeah I was gonna say for anyone who doesn't know do you want to just say what meatopia because we know what it is obviously. yeah I think everyone's heard I, I mean everyone's heard me banging on about everything anyway but um yeah meatopia is um it's been running now for s- uh, seven eight years um and it's basically a celebration of all things fire and meat. It's quite a prestigious event. Started off, it's, I think it's always been at Tobacco Dock in London. Um, and they'll just bring like some of the best fire chefs, for example, like Francis Malman from Chef's Table. I think you guys have probably seen him. Um, a good friend of mine, Andre De Luca from Brazil. Um, first year I was there, I remember walking into the prep kitchen and... Um, this lady who's a friend of mine now who was running the kitchen, she's terrifying. She knows she's terrifying. I was with her the other week. I told her that she like, literally scared the shit out of me. I was like, please, miss, can I have a chopping board, please? And um, yeah, and she put me next to Nathan Outlaw and I just looked at something and I was like, shit. Yes, chef. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, this is big, man. Like, my heart was pounding. I had a couple of lads helping me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just 
being there and cooking at that prestigious event that kind of led me to having friendships now with the guys who I was buying them cookbooks off in the start and now they're the guys who I'm going for a drink with in London or texting about like oh, just split this fucking squash puree like <laughs> why, why <laughs> so these these people who were my friends they were my kind of idols became friends and like people I worked alongside with and I've gone on to cook with some of them as well um so yeah Meetopia was a like a pinnacle moment in my career I like to think of that really gave me the confidence I mean don't get me wrong when you're cooking with them people it's scary as hell man yeah like the first year we did 200 kilos of ox cheek in eight drum barbecues scattered around the site didn't sleep for like three days it was just chaos um but I walked away and people were like saying I was one of the top dishes of the Saturday Wow. alongside all of these amazing amazing chefs um so yeah it was just like after that it was like come on Andy you need to fix up and become a little bit more confident because that was something although I, I was confident in what I was doing I wasn't confident giving it out to people what sort of time frame is that then from when you first started cooking barbecue and f- from your first sale of a pork bath from your garage to Meatopia to Meatopia what time frame um, was that so what do you say we get, we're coming up to eight years so, so this year would have been my fourth year cooking at Meatopia so like half probably like three and a half years in I got the call up so I was a finalist. Um, so there's a quite a prestigious awards in London called the Young British Foodies. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, pretty cool event. Like um, some quite cool people. Like they get um, Gizzy Erskine and like um, all them kind of guys are there. It's it's a pretty cool thing. And there's some good people who've won them awards and gone on to have like pretty successful careers and restaurants. Yeah. So I was um, I got through to the finals of that. Um, I was actually a finalist twice, never won it, which kind of broke my heart, but that opened the door then. I cooked at the the YBF Vice Party on this rooftop in London where there was ev- all the chefs from London there. And that's where I met a friend who then introduced me to the girls from Metopia. So all them things kind of led to me working in London and meeting all these cool people. Is Metopia just invite only or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you can kind of like, hassle them and send them a little <laughs> I sent them a, a message via Andre my friend in Brazil um, after two years and they sent a message back saying basically like we're aware of him um, he's, he's doing good things but it's mainly chefs really they don't really they don't, they don't discriminate against street food people but it's a lot it's heavyweight you're doing 900 covers a day so you've got to be able to hold it down cook some food put out world class foods like as you can see on the signs there, we have signs with the like where the farm is, where the meat comes from. You're not allowed. I say you're not allowed any electric. Like they, electric's frowned upon. Like we don't really use electric there. We everything's cooked over wood and fire. So no microwaves then. <laughs> no, <man. laughs> no, it's um, it's quite intense, but it's become one of my favourite things. Um, I've got a friend um, in Texas who I bought charcoal off when I was in Texas, who now flies over to Meetopia every year and cooks with me. Wow. which is bonkers he'll get off a plane at five o'clock in the morning get a taxi come and hang out with us party all weekend and then she go back to texas on monday Jesus. <laughs> and he's like again he's one of my best mates and um it brings people together and it's there's no rivalry between chefs it's like kind of um there was there was this girl once um ash she was on she was on a show on netflix she's actually living in birmingham now and um she was cooking all these um one morning she was cooking all these um short ribs like hanging off a chain there must have been like 20 racks 
and she um, she was doing something else, and this chain broke, and these twenty racks of beef oh, ribs no fell into the fire, and the fire went up. So all of us just literally just sorted it. So like literally within seconds, all the chefs were there, and that's a kind of like the buzz that you get off working with all these amazing people. If someone's in the shit, they'll um, they'll come and help you. So mm. yeah, it's awesome, man. How did you find the step up from street food to like that many covers? hard like really hard you, i don't know if you saw that big trompo i did with the al pastor a bit like the shawarma kebab type thing yeah and um it was just getting too it must have been like 500 600 degrees i was like scott i can't do this anymore i'm just gonna go so i just i just stood there i just put micro herbs and salsa on on tacos and let the boys do the rest of it <laughs> they're gonna kill me when they hear this <laughs> but yeah it's just a case like transitioning from street food where it's just a bit sometimes it can be a bit of a free-for-all um and it's just a case of learning how to do a service and learning. I used to go to Opus. Again, I don't know if you know them guys. Um, I used to go into Opus and just watch them in service when David Colcom um, was the head chef there. I mean, that guy scared the shit out of me, man. Mm. Again, he's a friend now, so I'd say this to his face. <laughs> I think Harvey um, said the same thing, actually. Yeah, man. He was just, he's, just a, he's, a, he's one of the best chefs in the city. Um, and he took his job very seriously. And he didn't take no shit. Um, he was running a I guess he trained under some really hardcore French chefs and in them kind of kitchens you don't mess about like I remember saying to him like where, where did you have the music on chef and he was just like he just looked at me <laughs> and I understand now like you don't have the music on because if your pan's boiling over and you like your pan's boiled dry or something like that you can't hear it different things like that and it was just I, so I just stand there for like 12 hours like my fate would be killing me and I just stand there um, just watching them in service and just writing notes and just learning and trying to absorb how I can become from Andy in the back garden to Andy, uh, an established chef who can hold his own with the big boys kind of thing. Well, medium boys. Was there a part <laughs> of you that felt like you had to do this extra kind of work because you hadn't come from the food industry? 100% yeah. man, yeah. I always had, um, what do they call it? Um, Imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, I still suffer from it now a little bit. Um, sometimes when I'm alongside people who are really like, who I'm really like, and not envious of like who I admire and stuff but in the early days it was kind of like I was here trying to be more than a street food cook I wanted to because I wouldn't call myself a chef for years I was like chef's an honor chef's a badge of honor that you earn kind of thing mm. so I was like I need to kind of if I want to call myself a chef or then people started addressing me as chef I was like well maybe I need to like I need to learn some stuff and, and earn this so yeah it was just a case of like always um just absorbing and watching and just trying to learn techniques texting like nathan eads and the guys at simpsons like late at night asking them questions about why i'd split a mayonnaise or texting other guys why my fire's going out or why my fire's fluctuating or texting the farm like why is my meat like this or that do you know what i mean just obsessing over it and asking questions and that whittled down now to the producers and the people that i work with who have come all this way with me and work with me kind of thing. I think it's a sensible way of going it. A few times we've had young chefs ask us like for some kind of a, but they don't really ask us for advice because obviously we know nothing, but we'll get talking about the industry and stuff and we'll say, yeah. just go and learn from the best, like contact them on Instagram or something. They're very approachable. Yeah. Speak to someone like Luke Tippin. who yeah, knows man. everything, you know, is, is the man. Yeah. And speak to him when, do a start somewhere go and learn don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone these yeah. people are approachable and everyone the, the food like from what we've started in this podcast the food um, scene and the people in it 
are so welcoming and so friendly like everyone just seems to like want everyone to succeed yeah 100% man if you like referencing Luke um you think of everyone who went through Simpsons and that kitchen kind of thing. Like That's anyone crazy. who's anybody now has done a little bit of work there and went on to their stars or whatever. I mean, it's not all about stars, obviously, but whatever accolades them chefs have got, there's been a lot of successful chefs come through that. And I think for me, it was kind of a lot of street food cooks will maybe put themselves, some might not be interested, some might just want to, do what they do and there's nothing wrong with that there's an audience for that kind of thing there's lots of people who sometimes want to just eat food who sometimes people don't want to think about food and obsess about food like we do but then and they might not have the nerve to dm slide into like glenn's like dms or slide into luke's dms whereas i was kind of like because i met the guys at opus and i got to i just kind of put myself out there and we found a lot of guys like Example, um, Adam Stokes was coming down eating our food at Digbeth Dining Club um, years and years ago at the stage where I didn't know who he was. And somebody pointed out, I was like, do you realise who that is eating your food? And I was like, mm. no, man. And I was like, it's Adam Stokes. And I was like, wow. That's like, I went over and chatted to him and they all showed an early interest in what I did kind of thing. So from then I was just like, well, I'm, I'm just going to learn from these guys. And any questions I had, I'd just ask him questions and just eat out a lot as well. Like, that was a big thing for me. Like, if I wanted to, for instance, I still like obviously eating out is such a crucial thing for a chef, and I think some chefs forget that. That for me to be inspired, I want I need to eat out, and not necessarily barbecue food either. Mm. Like a lot of my inspiration for my food I do doesn't necessarily come from barbecue food. To be fair, the last thing I want to do is eat barbecue food <laughs> when I'm on my day off because like it just gets in your skin, the smell and and that. So yeah, I I think just surrounding yourself with people who are inspirational and at a bigger level than you and just be humble and just say look all i want from you is just a little bit of knowledge and i want to be a good chef and i think you're fucking awesome and most of them will be like yeah man cool that's <laughs> it we haven't met we haven't spoke to one chef that isn't happy to no they're all lovely like all the birmingham boys anyone. um they're all one big like group of lads kind of thing and like I think sometimes, and I think they'd say it themselves. Sometimes we put chefs on a pedestal, and we think that like even going up to like the absolute top end chefs kind of thing. At the end of the day, they're just guys who are really good in their field who cook awesome food. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, don't they? They're just normal guys kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, some yeah. of them are probably pretend they're superheroes. Some of them <laughs> are. Um, but yeah, like they're just. I think just reach out to people and, and learn as much as you can. And I try to give back now to if people, young guys who are setting up in street food come back to me and ask me questions. If they approach me in the right way, I'll spend hours working with somebody and t teaching people and doing like just helping them out with knowledge kind of thing. Someone just slides into my DMs and says, yo, like where'd you get your meat from blood and stuff <laughs> like that. I'm like, nah, man, like, do you know what I mean? at least say hello. The internet's yeah, made yeah, it, yeah. the internet's made it like kind of, people think that everyone thinks that they know you and like just, just it, say yeah. hello Andy like maybe like butter me up a little bit by saying I kind <laughs> of like what you do or like maybe I like your, your jeans or something like that but like Straight yeah don't just sliding raw just like do you know what I mean <laughs> like leave me up a little bit first right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I can vouch that you've helped me on a number of things with barbecue and I've messaged you and you've messaged yeah, man, straight I, back I, I and helped it. me out um, with a few things yeah I, I get a big pleasure out of helping people and seeing people achieve the things because I know how frustrating it is when you're passionate about doing something and you can't do it and if them doors are closed 
But that could be the difference between somebody being motivated and going on to a career or just a happy um, hobby or mm. just been thinking, oh, fuck this, it's, it's crap. I yeah. can't do it. And like, I don't want to be the guy who won't teach them that. So if I can, I mean, I'm not the best, obviously, but like I'll... I've got a bit of experience now, and I'm, I'm yeah, willing I'm to sure share you know that. I'm sure you know what you do. <laughs> no, I like to think I do. <laughs> You're definitely up the top there. That's what I would say. I think you've been modest. You said uh, you like to eat places that inspire you. Where's the last place you ate that inspired you? Ooh, um, I'm trying to think now. Um, I haven't. Do you know what? I haven't eaten out in Birmingham. Oh God, when was the last time I ate in Birmingham? It doesn't have to be in Birmingham. Just I'm trying to, like, because obviously I want to big up Birmingham. Obviously, like, for me, um, best restaurant in Birmingham is um, Brad and Holly, um, Carter's. Um, take a lot of inspiration from his seasonality and his sourcing of meat and just him going outside the box and doing some really cool stuff that's, it's, it's Michelin, it's proper Michelin, but it's, it's cool and it's edgy and it's got Asian influences and it's got fire influences um, and then the natural wine as well. If anyone follows me, they, they know I'm massive into natural wine. So it's just for me about something that's exciting, like kind of thing. Sometimes I want that traditional four courses of meat, puree, jus kind of thing and a French classic wine. Well, sometimes I want to eat like some like sort of like clam spaghetti with like a, a weird wine made in a tree in like Bulgaria <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? So like different things like that. Um, normally food cooked over fire not necessarily barbecue slow smoke food but um i know what i'm gonna say brat um, i don't know if you know brat in shoreditch I don't um know. so brat is above smoking goat in shoreditch um they won a michelin star pretty much the first year they opened wow. run by thomas parry um who was I mean, someone was telling us about this i'm yeah, sure they were. It's 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 awesome man um so I, th- I believe thomas was behind kitty fishers um he's got like quite a good resume kind of thing mm. um and it's above smoking goat in shoreditch slap bag in the middle of shoreditch um everything's cooked over fire and they've got like a hearth and they're like they're famous for a whole turbot so they've got like this clamp that they cook the whole turbot in um and you just sit there three of you it's like 90 quid for a whole turbot and you just eat this whole turbot cooked over fire <laughs> and it's just it's incredible um natural wine um trying to think like one of the most inspiring dishes that I've had recently that's just blown my mind was didn't even have meat in it. It was a mushroom dish in like a little, um, like a broth. It's like a demi glass, slightly like a thick broth kind of thing. Um, and it was just some wood um, fired mushrooms, some pearl barley, and like a cured egg yolk. And I sat there and I could have just cried into this light dish. It was just packed full of amami and these mushrooms. And it was just, just shows how simple wood. Fire, um, fire cookery can be mm. using good ingredients like these perfectly in season wild mushrooms and it was just incredible um, where was that? that was at Brat oh, so yeah yeah so Donna's birthday um, a couple of months ago and we we actually went, we went to Brat um, and then we went to another um, Italian Luca on the evening um, it was quite an amazing day of food actually <laughs> my bank balance didn't like it <laughs> but yeah it's just going to these little spots and sometimes it's just me and Donna sitting there in the afternoon having a glass or a bottle of wine and just sitting there and just thinking about knowing that I follow these guys, knowing that this fish coming out off the day boat or this meat come from this farm in Cornwall. And it's knowing that story and knowing the chef's cooked over fire, watching the chef cook it. And just, it's dead simple, really. It's meat, it's some bones with some water in, but it's the skill of that chef and the, the, 
the excellence of that provenance excellence of the provenance excellence of the the provenance <laughs> of the food basically yeah. yeah I just get all excited thinking about it man yeah. like that's 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 my shit like yeah that sounds <laughs> awesome that's it man let's get back to the street food where we left the street foods you started cooking at Meatopia where have you sort of progressed it from street food as in so where did you move to so you've been doing the Meatopia you've been doing the street food what's the sort of the next level um it was kind of like so we've we've always done pop-ups so from from the early days we were doing like my first ever pop-up was at cherry reds in town um we did these massive beef ribs man like i still get people messaging me about it now it's like seven years ago and they were like they were massive (laughs) these beef ribs um so yeah i've always done pop-ups um i've tried to do different pop-ups work with different chefs collaborations sometimes work sometimes it can be a case of i've got so many ideas of what i want to do sometimes i don't know whether collaborations work unless you're really on a page with somebody Mm. collaborations and also financially if that restaurant's got to make money out of it the same way as me sometimes it depends really i I try to do pop-ups as a passion thing i try to earn my bread and butter money from street food yeah and then i try to do more creative stuff like for example the the pop-up you i think did you both come to it at ben's a little black yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so i can like i did like for example um a monkfish al pastor with like a blood orange pico de gallo and like if i did that at deep breath dining club um no one's gonna pay 15 quid for a taco and everyone's going to be like, why is he putting a blood orange in his salsa? And like, <laughs> some people might be like, what's a monkfish? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that's, and that's nothing wrong with either of them scenes. It's just, it's sometimes at a street food event, I've got to cater to a certain customer um, and their needs. And then when I do pop-ups, I can be a little bit more experimental and cook things that I'd, I, I long to cook kind of thing. So that's kind of been... I mean, the plan this year was to lot lots more pop-ups. Obviously, the plan, the big plan this year was the restaurant was meant to be opening mm. um, like any time now. Um, we were um, probably like a month off signing a lease of a massive, um, probably like best part of 3,000 square foot in the jewellery quarter. Wow. Um, we were literally, my business partner had looked at it. He was super excited about it. Um, we had, we'd done the Kickstarter two it's two years ago now so yeah we were gonna we were had everything in place to go full ball ahead uh, up in this amazing um restaurant and then obviously the world went mental was this back in february time? yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. february time um and then obviously the coronavirus kind of kicked in and then here we are now still like with more restrictions that have come in last night and might kind of put my plans <laughs> to shit, really. Yeah, you were quite lucky you didn't sign that list, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, a lot of people say to me things happen for a reason, and I'd like to think, I don't know, it broke my heart, obviously. I'd done the Kickstarter. As much as I love street food, my main goal is to have a restaurant where I can, I just don't want to be outside anymore, man. It's cold, <laughs> and it's wet, and my fires go out, and I can't get any staff and Donna gets cold and like like we get back from street food events and like I have to put Donna in bed with blankets over she's just lying there freezing and it, it just gets too so hard to do the type of food that I want to do price point and like clientele that I just want to naturally take my food to where I want to be I'm not going to forget my roots of street food but I just want it to naturally progress and cook that kind of food so obviously that's gone 
tits up Big Baz this year. Because <laughs> it, feels, it feels like your food's naturally progressed past street food as well. No disrespect to street food. Yeah, well, I like to think that like a natural progression, like I said, I saw all these guys cooking this food and then I eat out the type of restaurant that I like to eat out at. I, I can, I've got access to that produce because I can get the meat from the same farms and the same day boats or whatever and I was just like I want to learn how to be as good as them guys probably never will be as good yeah. but it's not for me it's not about that it's about as being as good as I can be mm. as long as I'm the best Andy Stubbs out there then I'm my own worst enemy and competition like <laughs> that's all I, I'm trying to beat last year's Andy kind of thing you like and worry about what you can control yeah, man. you like, can control yeah, yeah. you not, yeah. yeah well I can't even control myself but like <laughs> yeah um so yeah, it was just it was a natural progression. And obviously, we did the Kickstarter, and obviously, as you can see on the board there, I've got a list of all the rewards. And so when we did the Kickstarter, we raised the money, and a lot of the rewards were pop-ups with like really cool chefs. There was um, a friend of mine, Matt Black, um, who was Jamie Oliver's head chef um, at f not fifteen, one of them restaurants. So yeah, I had all these amazing friends from London coming down. I had. Cy Butterbelly, who's one of my best friends. I was going to cook with her. We've been talking about doing a collaboration for eight years now. We always end up just getting pissed and eating food at my house. But um, <laughs> yeah, we've never cooked for the public kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we got to the Kickstarter and like that's something I wanted to touch on, which has been, um, again, going back to, I wanted to talk about the Kickstarter and mental health as it was, well, mental health day on Saturday. And the two for me kind of go hand in hand. Um, Obviously, we came up to a year and I was starting to get a little bit of majority of the people who backed me were really cool. And I was sending updates out and I was just like, look, guys, there's I lost four buildings. So we, we were originally meant to open down in Digbeth. Mm. So we did the Kickstarter and with off the back of we thought we were going to sign a lease for that that Christmas. That kind of never materialized different sites. And obviously, it's got to be the right site because the money that we raised for the Kickstarter 50,000 like the restaurant's going to cost us best part of like two three hundred thousand I was going to say 50,000 might sound like a lot to some people but it's when the kitchen but it's not even the kitchen like my, my extraction's 10 to 20 grand um so yeah when I'm going to do it I'm going to do it properly and what's it going to be like open flames or that's the dream like yeah. I don't after everything that's happened now we might not be able to go as big as we wanted to and again that could be a blessing in disguise whether I was trying to run before I could walk um I don't know, but... Um, was, yes. there any, was there any part of you back in February that fell off? Oh, fuck this, I'm just going to quit. Yeah, um, as a lot of us chefs did, I think. It was um, It was kind of... I was already starting to get a load of shit. I'd had a, a bad year with my um, health last year. I'd had a couple of health scares myself. Um, my um, a close family member um, was given 24 hours to live. Um, he survived, obviously. Everything's kind of okay oh, now but um yeah um but yeah i just went through a bunch of crap that where it was one thing after another and it was just blow after blow after blow and i was just like i don't know how much money this i can take man it was like kind of here's me just all i want to do is cook some really cool food and just open this restaurant and then it was just like the world fucking against me um so then that was like the back end of last year and i was in a bit of a, a dark headspace kind of thing a bit unmotivated and just not knowing again, going back to when I started the business, not knowing what my future held and doubting myself whether I've whether I am as good as I wanna be or 
I don't know. You know what it's like when you're. I don't know whether you, either you guys suffer from like anxiety and different things, and you yeah. catastrophize. Yeah. Don't always go. What's that? What catastrophize? Is that the right word? Basically, everything's a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, yeah. like if like if I knock that bottle over now, it'd just be like it's going to blow all the electrics up or something like. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. over the top irrational thinking that mm. is uncontrollable because you spiral into this kind of space where you just. I wouldn't say you can't control your thoughts, but like it's just everything, everything's shit. Yeah. Um, and I think we all get like that a bit like now when it's dark outside and it's starting to get like this time of year. So yeah, like so we we came out at Christmas and I was like, okay, this is going to be we, we we were getting close with this building. Actually, this building came up in January, so that kind of like I was like, okay, like new start, fresh start. And it was the same time as well when you started seeing coronavirus on the TV, and I was like, for fuck's sake. And then, yeah, we went to see the building. My business partner came down. He was, like, really excited. He was talking about putting a glass ceiling on the on the roof of the, and having, like, a <laughs> chef's table above. And he was, like, he was super excited about doing all this stuff, which was, I was buzzing off. Um, so, yeah, we was, we was going to do all of that. And then, like, literally, coronavirus happened so fast, didn't it? Like, literally, over the space of, like, what, three weeks, it went from, like, oh, is it going to even reach England? To, yeah, to Like, shit. fucking hell, everyone's dead. Like, it was horrific, man. Like, there was, and it was getting close to home. We were finding about friends and family who, I mean, luckily enough, I didn't have any um, direct people affected by it, but I know lots of people who did. Yeah. And it was like, this shit was real, man. Like, this isn't like no joke. So then it was like, oh my God, so what are we going to do? And everything stopped. The lockdown happened. And I was just like, dwelled for a, a couple of days. I think I remember just. I remember having an argument with my mom because I was having to tell, I had to become the parent. I was like, mom, you've got to stop going out. Yeah. You can't go out, man. Like, this shit is serious, man. It'll kill you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just sort of dwelled in it uh, for a little bit. Um, Taylor bought me some natty wine. Taylor was the natty man during lockdown. So, like, literally, I'd just call him up and he'd just, like, knock the door <laughs> in, leave my wine on the doorstep. <laughs> so, um, and I, I literally, a couple of days, and I was like, do you know what? It's sink or swim. You've got to do something. So, I was... Um, there's no one else doing the home deliveries in Birmingham, I believe, not maybe in street food. Um, either way, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I need to be the f- one of the first to do it. And so let's do it. Because the meat, the farm had carcasses hanging and aging to my spec. And I didn't want to let the farm down. I didn't want all these beasts that were aging and stuff. So I was like, let's just carry on what we're doing. We've got a vat pack machine. We've got a, a prep space. So let's, let's do all these food and we can, hopefully people will have it at home. So I've been asked about it for years anyway. So it's just like, they put a couple of things out. My social media is like, the people who follow me are awesome. Everyone's like, we'll support you. And literally within a couple of weeks, we were driving around, me and Donna were doing 10 hour days driving around Birmingham, yeah. arguing. She was battering me over the head with the iPhone. You'd, You've turned left and you should have been turned right. And I've got like, <laughs> like the new Nas album blasting. She's like, turn that shit down and all this shit. And I'm just like, I need a Mackey's. And then we'd pull up at Mackey's and I'd just be like, well, I've been driving for 10 hours and I just couldn't see straight. And it was, ah. it was, it was mental, man. Cause like, I, cause I had the, the whole thing of thinking about ordering my food for the next week. And so, I, I soon separated myself from the um, the driving and got some mates in to come and help me do that because I just I couldn't concentrate coming here on a Saturday morning, prep all the food, bag it, and then deliver it. It was just it was too much, man. It was it was like literally frying my brain. Um, so luckily enough, some really good customers and friends just came and did some deliveries for us, and yeah. it was a way to give some people as well a bit of money kind of thing. I was like, if you need some money, I've got some work. So yeah, that just kind of all went from that. Did it go some way to kind of, obviously it won't fully replace what you missed out on with the summer full of 
street food festivals and that kind of thing but did it go some um, way to yeah it did it was a lot better than i ever imagined it would um and it was it was kind of i wouldn't say better but it gave me a lot of time i worked less hours because i was i had no deadlines as such I had no um, pitch fee. So, for example, if I go to a street food event and I pitch up there, I've got to pay a street food event anything from 5 to 20%. Mm. And then, obviously, on hot food, you've got to pay VAT as well. So the lack of money that I was earning was made up by the lack of money I was having to spend and I wouldn't have to have staff on the stall. So it all kind of balanced itself out and kind of kept us going kind of thing um and it also gave me time to kind of sort my own head out and like because we had such a beautiful summer i was kind of like if i saw a week coming that was going to be nice i'd work my ass off for two weeks and then i'd take a week off and that was so important to have that and so many chefs that i um was talking to over that period were like it's 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 crazy like when would you ever have a summer off to sit in the garden on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, just go to Early Bird Bakery and get one of them fancy, like, um, donuts or something like that. And then you can get a sandwich from Grace and James and then a bottle of wine. Like, I'd never be able to do that on a Saturday. I'd be working, like, 16, 18-hour days. Yeah. So I was like, let's let's be grateful for this shit situation. Let's make the most out of it and let's embrace it and let's spend time in the garden. So I was, like, doing my gardening doing a lot of cooking at home and just really getting back into like home food and, and stuff like that. And just, yeah, I was in a bit of a, a better place and feeling worried about friends and family and the world and what was going to happen. But yeah. also it was almost like oh, breathe, like chill out a minute, man. Yeah. As a business model, is it fairly like, could someone just do that for a living and that's all they would do is just the home delivery food? Uh, I think you probably could if you're any good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's gonna be good um i think you need some kind of following first yeah i, I think I, I like to believe that obviously I mean, for example could you just just do that now and it would be enough probably not probably not because obviously when full lockdown was on it was it was good for a couple of months and then the more people that started it that watered it down a little bit yeah so everyone had a little slice of the pie and then like and I was seeing people do some of the kits that I was seeing people sending out. I like literally I was seeing like the local cafe sending out like bacon, do it yourself bacon <laughs> kits. Like they'd go down to like get like some like mighty whitey or something, two slices of mighty whitey and some like water pumped pig from Denmark. Yeah. And like, and they'd be like, oh, it's a home baking kit, 70 quid, mate. And I was just like, I mean, Donovan, looking at all this shit and like, I don't want to say too much in case like somebody's listening or something like that. I don't know. I just saw some, I was just like, come on, man, everyone can make a bacon sandwich. So like, yeah, we put, we put a lot of thought into it. And I, I like to think that a lot of the stuff that I do isn't necessarily, not everyone wants to sit poking a stick in a smoker for 16 hours cooking a brisket. Mm. Not everyone's got access to world-class meat from a really good farm. So I was in a, I, all them years of work and, and graft had put myself in a position to have this produce and have this really awesome audience that appreciated what I did. And because I've been also, like, so always, always spoke with my audience, my, my audience, how much of a wanker do I say in saying that? <laughs> like, the, the, the people, my friends on Instagram. At least you didn't call them fans. Yeah. Oh yes. my fans. <laughs> my only fans is coming soon, man. Um, who was it who said that? Was it Stu who, like, 
I was listening to your podcast the other day and Stu Daly was talking about all like the dick pics he gets and stuff. Yeah, I was yeah, that that was myself. Yeah. I, I still need to like send him what no I don't <laughs> I still need to <laughs> I still need to ask him I don't know whether that's actually true, but I was I was sat here listening to it, I was like, Wow, Stu's getting dick pics, man. Like I, I, I've got one guy who sends me dick pics and he's a mate, like so I don't want dick pics by the way. Same. Like whatever, like literally I do not want to start getting dick pics. What were we talking about? Well, I was just going to say to oh, you about, actually, you, carry you, on. Yeah, you were going to say like um, you'd like to think that uh, what you were offering was something special because of the connections you made and yeah, I just think food. that it's kind of it's a bit of a treat. It's obviously it's not cheap, um, yeah, but it's it's still kind of like middle of the road restaurant prices. Mm-hmm. But it's I'd like to think it's of the quality of the food that I eat in the certain restaurants that I eat. And yeah, I, I, and because of the nature of the way I've developed how I cook, when we go to street food events, the way that my customers are reheating at home is the same way that I'd reheat it an event anyway. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful product that's reheating in people's homes as, as good as, like I, I, when I see people posting the pictures of it, mm. it's fucking awesome. I sit there on a Saturday night and I'm like, this is so cool seeing all these people eating this food and DMing me saying, oh Andy, this is amazing. And it's awesome, man. Like, that really picked me up through some hard times. I'll tell you what I liked about it was uh, it's it's something you can't really get as a takeaway either. Yeah. So, like, you can get, obviously, fish and chips, Chinese, and then all of a sudden you have an Andy Lerman slur. You're like, oh, wow, this is special. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> to think it's something like, I'd like to think that I've kind of, it's got, it's a Texas barbecue, it's Mexican food, it's, it's British food, it's Andy's food kind of thing. Yeah. So, like I said, it's, I understand that a lot of people this wasn't food for I don't I don't want to sound like a wanker again but like I don't want to I cook kind of middle of the road food for people who've maybe got a little bit more disposable income I I don't want to be one of these people that knocks anybody who can't afford to eat well and I think I've been fortunate to have a decent run Um, but yeah it's kind of it's food that like if people have got if people were still working and they were furloughed and they had Mm. a bit of disposable income um and they weren't going out and they wanted to support local business, them are the type of people that were enjoying my food and kind of, yeah, they're just supporting me. Oh, yeah, instead of saying, say, I go out for dinner, you're talking minimum £100 and that's not even somewhere expensive. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is, isn't it? Like a couple of bottles of wine. Go, like, and, like, get yeah. wine for you to order in and just yeah. order some great food. And, and recreate that at same, home. You've got yeah, the same, yeah, definitely. Night. And I think also the fact that we, we did the kit so it's, there's not much cooking involved, but there's like a little bit of like people are enjoying like seeing how nice they could make the tacos look. And we did a few ones like the goat ones the other week where you um, grill the tacos. So there's a little bit more involved. And like the Sunday lunch kits that we've got starting next week, there's the potatoes come part cooked in the beef fat. So you still got to finish it, but it's like, it's probably like a five, six hour meal that you can have ready in half an hour mm. for £17.50. Well, I wonder if all this is going to work as inspiration for a lot of people to go on and cook more stuff so like maybe try your potatoes and you'll be like i wonder if i can do that and then maybe someone will try it themselves one yeah, day. yeah like i say i get people like sliding into my messages and asking me and quite often i'll like i say if they're polite i'll kind of say to them like well yeah get the potatoes from here and do this and do that and i'm kind of at a stage now where i remember years ago i didn't want to give recipes away or or stuff but now i'm kind of like a chef said to me my friend again andre from brazil i remember he was having dinner somewhere in london once and he was like i can't do a brazilian accent but he was just like <laughs> just share the love like just 
no one can do what you do to the exact T. So I give someone the method. Like barbecue is just like, it's a piece of beet, put some salt and pepper on it and cook it for 16 hours and keep your fire in between 200 and 250 degrees. And they're like, yeah, but how do I do that? I'm like, well, that's the hard bit. I can't really tell you that. <laughs> I, can, I can give you a few like steps, but like the rest of it, it depends what way the wind's blowing or how wet your wood is or how dry your beef is or whether there's shit sodium and iodine in your salt and it, all these different things which you can only gain from experience. So we, all I can do is guide people. It's going to seem a bit like a, a little while back, but I know it's really important to you. But before we got onto all of that, you were just talking about your Kickstarter. You were talking about mental health. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we kind of just drifted off. We didn't. Yeah, I don't think you got to say what you wanted to say. You were talking. Um, you said about how mental health kind of tied in with your Kickstarter, but then you never. Why mental health so important to you? And yeah, yeah. It's kind of I, I think I'm quite open about it now um, because I've got involved with a few campaigns and friends who are doing a real good thing for it. Um, so yeah, I think it was something I've kind of battled with all my life but it was just kind of I just always thought I was a bit mental as in like just a bit of a wrong and just a bit wild kind of thing I just thought like never knew what I wanted to do until I found cooking um just like I said music art skateboarding fashion all them kind of things that you couldn't really control were the things that I was obsessed with um so I always battled with like I was no, not really going anywhere in my career, like I said, when I was working in that factory job. Before that, I was a builder. Before that, I was a pirate radio DJ and occasionally went to work for my dad if I could get out of bed on a Monday because I've been drinking <laughs> Tenant Super in a studio in Heathtown until three o'clock in the morning. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like, it all just built up. And then, then I was throwing myself into these situations and with every bit of confidence I got as a cook going into a chef, I, as I, I challenge myself so I kind of thrive off putting myself into this really like crazy like let's do a pop-up and let's do 100 covers and Donna be like how the hell are we going to do that I'll be like I'm not sure yet but like <laughs> we'll get Kev Still who's um, I met through um, Opus and we get him in and he'd be like he's um, a really good chef he was the head chef at Opus and he'd be like okay Andy this is how we're going to do it and I'd be, I'd be so nervous doing these things but then Every time I set myself one of these things and I got myself really nervous, when I achieved it, I was like, that feeling was fucking incredible. It was like a drug kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I just kept on thriving off that. And then like I did the Kickstarter and that, that was really intense and obviously so grateful for what I achieved from it. And I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Like, oh God, Andy got 50K from the Kickstarter. It was fucking incredible. But then because there were so many things then that happened out of my control, and I was getting people coming to me, oh, have you heard such and such is saying this and such and such is saying that? And oh, I heard that he um, I heard that he went on holiday and he spent all the Kickstarter money. I'm like, really? Like, do you really think I'm that stupid? Like, as if I'm going to do something like that and then still try and, like, show my face in this city. Mm, yeah. So it was just, it was really hard. And there was like, I knew that people were talking about me. I knew everyone was watching what I was doing. And it, it became this massive thing. And I, maybe I, I made it worse in my own head. It didn't help that there was people coming to me saying other people had said this and said that. And maybe some people could take that as just on the chin kind of thing. And I didn't. And that's when towards the end of last year, like my family member, like obviously I had that. And then I had a health scare myself, then the virus. And it was just, it was bonkers. So 
I reached out to Birmingham Healthy Mind. I don't know if you've heard of them guys. No. So um, me and Donna go to a doctor's surgery over in West Heath, doctor's surgery in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and they're incredible, really good. Always struggled to get good doctors over where I lived that would listen and give a shit about you. Mm. So I just went in there and I was just like, I think I'm a bit mental, man. <laughs> they were like, okay, tell me, tell me about how mental you are, I told. And I was like, yeah, you're a bit mental. Uh, but you can you can maybe not be mental. So I just started um, having these CBT, like I think it's called CBT, where you have these sessions with a lady on the phone. Um, you can choose. You can either do like a, a group therapy thing, which is not for me, kind of thing. Like yeah. my name's Andy and I'm mental, kind of thing. Like I don't <laughs> want to do that. So I, I personally, for me, the better thing was um, talking to somebody on the phone, and it was just a series of questions, and she'd be like, so. Wait, why do why do you think why do your thought process go like this? But why don't you think of it like that? Mm. And I was like, okay, sure. and like so, little things like what I always think the worst going to happen. But she's like, but what happens if the best happens? And what happens if you thinking the worst thing that's going to happen stops the best thing from happening? And it was just a little thing like that, and taking some time for me to chill out on myself and just think about things, kind of really helped me. And being able to talk to somebody about yeah, it, yeah, and as also, well, also and like sometimes talking to somebody outside your immediate kind of like your partner yeah. or your family kind of thing having someone who's completely neutral who doesn't yeah. know anything about you is kind of nice in a weird way a lot of the problems i've had is like i've always felt like you, t you talk to your wife about them but then all of a sudden you felt you feel a real burden like oh shit i've just burdened yeah, that on somebody yeah. like you yeah know, it, it's it's different to talking to, to, to a stranger and be able to tell them you don't feel like you've put that on them you know what i mean yeah definitely um yeah so i just had these sessions and then at the time again talking um a really good um chef and somebody who's become a friend now andrew clark who runs Pilot Light Campaign, um, who you probably saw me um, bigging up on Saturday. So they do a podcast and it's all about, um, I was going to say men's health, but it's not. It's about everybody's health. And it's a, it's predominantly about chefs and the hospitality industry, but it crosses over to all everybody kind of thing. And it's just about kind of talking about to your friends or talking to somebody. And it's like, there's that slogan, it's okay to not be okay kind of thing where... Yeah. It's kind of like we you, you haven't got to have your shit figured out, but try and get a way to figure start to figure your shit out. And if it means reaching out to somebody and talking to somebody, like if you look at Andrew, Andrew, he's got like long hair. He looks like Hell's Angel. He's like he's like this big badass, like big burly bloke, and he's one of the most like placid, lovely, amazing chefs I've ever met, kind of thing. And just listening to some of their stories and their life stories and the things that they've been through, I was like wow, all these people that I admire who I was putting on the, a pedestal were doing going through the same shit that I've been going through, probably even worse. So that's when I kind of like started thinking, okay, well, I've got a decent following on Instagram. So maybe if I tell my story, somebody who sat there thinking, oh, fuck, I can't even talk to my girlfriend might think, oh, maybe I could message Andy or maybe I could message Healthy Minds. And if one person out of them 29,000 people on my Instagram... I've helped a little bit. That's, that's pretty cool to me. Yeah, so I think it's important to like share my ex experiences and try and educate people because I'm not healed. I'm like, like yesterday I was I had a bit of a like wobbly day kind of thing just with all the news of the new restrictions coming in and mm. and stuff like that. So each day you just got to take as it comes and just 
try to do your best, man. It's probably a bit cliche now, but uh, it's definitely how I like to think of it. It's like you go to the gym for your body to try and stay healthy. 100%, man. And you have to work at your health all the time. It's not like you just lose a load of weight and then... You fit, that's it, you feel yeah, healthy it's a constant, constant. You have to c- constantly work at it. You go and see, speak to somebody if you need to speak to somebody. There's, yeah. there's stuff you can do. Like, I mean, it, it's definitely changing in the industry, I feel, but there's still loads to do. And it, it's, why well, is it still the biggest killer and men under like, I think it is something. like suicide, like suicide in many, yeah. I don't know the stats and stuff, but it's, it's awful, it's especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, and just over like things that, to somebody who's probably got their shit together a little bit more, um, might be such a, a little thing but then to somebody who's suffering with mental health it's yeah. so big in their brain that there's nothing they can do to I, control it man it's I think scary it was, um, Jamie at Harbon Kitchen was saying in the podcast that they actually they're working with it might be the same company but they're working with a charity or something in Birmingham where there's he'll, a few is for any staff that want to go for uh, so many hours of therapy or sessions in a month the company will pay for him. Yeah. It's all confidential. Nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. James yeah. just gets a bill at the end of the month. He doesn't oh, know yeah. which member of staff. But that's really I, cool, man. I feel like that's that's just something really now that most should be doing. Yeah, I think a lot of sh- I don't know about the guys in Birmingham, but all my friends in London, the way they're looking at it is they need their chefs and their brigade to be like physically and mentally on point. Mm-hmm. So if someone's having a bad day, find out what's happening. Let them go and sort their shit out. And when I say shit, not I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean go and have some time, like whatever they're like. We've all got our little things that we do. Go and do that, and then come back the next day and be stronger. Because if somebody just spirals, that member of staff is not going to be any use to you. And then you're also, if you're their head chef, you're kind of just watching them. You need to help them and nurture them and help people, kind 100%. of thing. Mm. And they'll come back. I mean, I remember once when I was working in a in a pub, and I was only there a couple of weeks. And there was a day where I just didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. And I, I didn't turn up. I just didn't show up. And you know how annoying that is in the hospitality industry. When yeah. you just don't show, it's horrible. Yeah. Just switched my phone off, didn't show up. I faced it the next day because I felt better. And then he said, don't worry about today. My bo- This was my boss and he's now my friend. And he said, don't worry about today. Come back tomorrow and we'll just have a chat about it. Make yeah. sure you're okay. And he put his arm around me and it, it wasn't a disciplinary. It wasn't like, where the fuck were you? Yeah. It was an arm around me. It was like, you know, maybe you should speak to someone. If, yeah, you, if yeah, this is happening yeah. often, Liam, maybe you should speak to someone. Yeah. And that, that meant loads to me then. So then... That, that, that right there back, is a pickup, isn't I it? I came back as a valid member of staff. Like, I was like, oh, I, I want to work for this dude now. Exactly like, that, man. Like Whereas if you just give me a bollocking, I'd be like, oh, fuck this, man, I'm out. Yeah. And that relates back to me, again, when I was in that factory job years ago. Um, the guys that I worked for didn't give a shit about anybody on the shop floor so equally I didn't give a shit about them so I spent most of my time in the canteen or in the toilet googling recipes and stuff and I just didn't work um, because I just there was no respect there was nothing there so I always yeah. promised myself as I eventually get a team that I want to be the type of boss where somebody could phone me up and say look Andy I'm like I'm fucking, I can't get out of bed yeah um, and not them not be scared to tell me that kind of thing. Yeah. And I might not have always been like that with people kind of thing. Like we can't always, you can't always be perfect, can you? But no. I'd like to think that I want to, when I get this restaurant or whatever I do going forward, have a team of people that, uh, although I am the boss, I want them to be like a, a close knit community kind of thing. Like all the, all the brigades, look at all the big, look at Simpsons, look at Alex, look at like 
all, all the big boys, everyone who's got a good brigade in their kitchens, they all help each other out and they yeah. all support each other. And yeah. I think that's really important. And that's what I really, really long to have and hopefully will have one day, man. Yeah, I think no, so. I so what's the plan going forward? Is there still a restaurant coming? And Not coming. We've got no direct plans. So at the moment, as you can see, we're in this kitchen at the moment. Um, in the middle of an industrial estate in Hales Owen. Um, my smoker's outside um, underneath a gazebo held up by a broom um, <laughs> and a bit of, like literally I think I've got sellotape on one of the corners or something. <laughs> it's, it's a bit bonkers. So we're um, in the net by Christmas we're moving into a new kitchen um, just down the road so we won't have a flight of stairs and a factory in between the smoker and the fridges and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're moving into a new prep kitchen, which is going to double up as I'm opening a barbecue school. So I'm going to be offering um, like small classes, four to eight people at a time where you can come in, spend a day with me. And we'll do either real simple stuff like just getting a fire started and seasoning all the way up to like briskets and advanced stuff. Mm. Um, and just like building days where people can come and I can teach them about stuff. I'm going to bring friends. Like I've got knife maker friends or I'm going to bring in charcoal makers, wine, um, like suppliers, all, all these different things. And it's just going to be a hub for low and slow. I'm going to have an office in there. Um, I'm setting my decks up again. Like I haven't DJed for like, I don't want to be a DJ again, but like I, I just want to have a mix sometimes and play some records, <laughs> man. So I'm just going to have like, hopefully get a weights bench in there and I haven't lifted any weights for about five years apart from a brisket <laughs> <laughs> so like all the, all the wine bottles that go <laughs> so yeah it's just going to be like a creative hub which has been such a long time coming that we can produce we can have like our rational oven so yeah going back to the kickstarter as well we we had to spend some of that kickstarter money because we were going to get taxed on it so we kind of it was like i was either going to lose a chunk of this money because it's classed as income after yeah. a year which i wasn't aware of because ah, i didn't right. ever dream that this money would sat there for a year so the accountant was like oh, so you're going to get taxed like i think it was something like 14k or something so, and i was like but capital purchases obviously so we we um we bought ourselves a lot of the stuff that was going to be in the kitchen so that's all in storage now literally i've got like a brand new rationale sat in a garage in a cardboard box um so we can put all of that in this kitchen and have this amazing space where we can carry on doing the low and slow to go but really ramp it up start doing baking we can start doing desserts we can just do loads more production in a, a better environment i can do the teaching as well um and even pop-ups kind of things so it's like in a warehouse space or so in the summer we can have like it's, it looks like something you'd see like street feasting in london or something it's really cool yeah um so it's just a really creative space for me to be in and work in and then just keep going forward and then as and when the right property comes up we'll snap at it and we're ready to go kind of thing and we've got all the equipment um but we're in two minds now whether the big restaurant with the big like sort of big boy rent might not be the way to go now and if anyone's listening and has got a little shop in Kingsheath or Sturchley that they want to rent me and I say little it needs to be quite big <laughs> like, I'll probably get a phone call someone's got like a shed or something um, so yeah we, we kind of like I, I, this virus has made the city shift hasn't it so the, the city's really quiet at the moment it's heartbreaking to see my friends in how bad and quiet restaurants are um so for me now, maybe the, the way forward might be let's go into a littler restaurant in 
um, King's Heath, for example, and it doesn't have to be so big. So I've got all the kitchen in there. I could have the kitchen where down here, and we could bring the food in each day and have like a central kitchen. So I think that we, we've got options ahead of us, kind of thing. But the main thing is to just get get the smoker and donate the cold for the winter, <laughs> um, and just get this barbecue school on the go. And then Christmas, we've got well next week we've got the Sunday lunches um, launching. So we've got like amazing, like everything's cooked over fire, the Sunday lunches. And then leading up to Christmas, we've got all the Christmas um, dinners and hampers, full bacons, um, all sorts of different things like gift boxes and different things like that. So this podcast comes out a week Monday. So so by then, yeah, we'll be live. We'll be live. um, So my link for my... So get on the internet and go and buy some. Yeah, (laughs) Get it on. I'm really looking forward to the barbecue school. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. I'm confident to to teach people now and show people. I've got a lot of cool sponsors and people who I'm very lucky to be given some really cool barbecue. So I can, I've got every nearly every single side of barbecue under the sun. So we can we can cook in a little grill like you would on the beach, or we could cook on the big one outside that cook for like hundred people. Class. Yeah, it's gonna be cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Because Loaf do well with their cookery school kind of thing, you know, the classes they do, ramen classes. And yeah, I've always seen how cool and they are and stuff. Um, yeah, I've done a so couple, they are like, really you good. You could do like a um, like smoker course or... Yeah, like yeah. I say, there's going to be different ones. And then if like four or five people came to me and said, oh, would you put this special day to us and we want to learn one certain thing, mm. we could do that. Like, and I guess companies do like team building days and... Yeah. We don't really want stag dudes, really. <laughs> like, that'd be a bit mental, wouldn't it? No, I'd end up partying. It's a long day as well. You wouldn't do that on a stag do. You wouldn't go and I, I know people that do. I know. I know people like who've got. I know a friend of mine's got a barbecue um, school in Devon, and he's had like stag do's and stuff. And he's had to, <laughs> yeah, he's had to like send them all off in, a, <laughs> in, a, in an ambulance or a taxi because they're all trash. I suppose yeah, if you're thinking, you're thinking of younger, like, but if you get like mid thirties to like and above yeah I think as we get older we all just yeah. want to like light a little fire in the back garden and cook a bit, bit of meat don't we mm. we go back to Tomorrow. our like primitive yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so this is my questions you know about them already you've just said you've been listening and all the listeners should know now it's really simple questions really easy <laughs> you, you, you already know all the answers don't you Thorma? sometimes a little bit <laughs> so what's your favourite movie I've got I've been thinking about this. I've got three. They're so <laughs> random. So, favourite movies, Forrest Gump. Right. Home That's Alone. And American Gangster. Wow. That's but, three very different <laughs> films. <laughs> so, like, Forrest Gump, like, I know every single word to Forrest Gump. Um, like, literally, it's fucking amazing. Like, I, I could, I probably watch it about five or six times a year. And the same with American Gangster. Um, I just love Denzel Washington's, like, my hero, man. Like, he'd be the ultimate guy to sit down and have dinner with and yeah, have a brandy great, with and... Eh? chill out with and then Home Alone is just hilarious I watch it every Christmas and he yeah. just reminds me of being it's a never kid not funny is it yeah yeah. So never I feel go. like there's room for like uh, American Gangster Home Alone like like over. Over. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that'd be cool man <laughs> what's your favourite band or DJ or rapper or anything like that um so like favourite rapper of all time probably Naz um, I've been listening to his music since like I got introduced to hip hop when I was like 12 years old and I'm nearly 40 now so I've spent most of my life listening to rap music and yeah Naz is consistently he's just got a new album out and he's awesome but then band wise um, I can never pronounce him is it Krugabin um, uh, a band from Austin, um, Houston in Texas um, like psychedelic guitar funky trippy like weird awesome stuff um mm. 
yeah um i can't pronounce them i forgot their name but they're ace <laughs> nice uh it's your favorite cookbook hmm so i'm not very i'm not very good at like sticking to books or stuff so like like i said pick q their books are bible um neil rankin's book that was really cool um, i've just bought pipey pippy eats do you know you know that girl from manchester she does like the noodles and stuff um fucking awesome man like um i love asian cuisine but it's not something um especially like japanese and chinese food it's not something i'm that familiar with um and i'm obsessed with like ramen and all that kind of stuff so yeah i'm getting stuck into that um at home at the moment as well nice uh which favorite spirit and specifically to the bottle um, oh man um not very good with spirits like when I was younger, I used to drink vodka and just want to kill everyone. So that's why I'm not allowed to drink vodka anymore. And then when I was a DJ and I was like doing radio and stuff, um, I'd, I'd always just drink brandy. Like my nickname was Brandy Andy for years. Like I'd get birthday <laughs> cards. Like so I'd always be at the back of a rave, like just drinking a brandy, like nothing my head. Um, best brandy I've ever had was a Hein 1981. So Hein's like probably one of the best brandy houses. And um, when I was... 30 donna bought me the 1981 hein um and it was just incredible what's your favorite beer um i'm obsessed with sour beers yeah man. so favorite beer at the moment is probably the bread carter collaboration with glasshouse um rooted in rave um I that, yeah. yeah it's their new like so they foraged um not personally i don't i can't imagine Dave's running through the woods picking blackberries and stuff. But um, yeah, it's like all these foraged um, black fruits and stuff. Um, and it's just incredible. Really good. Nice. What's your favourite big fast food chain? McDonald's all day, man. Mackie D's, nice. If you're getting takeaway, what takeaway are you getting? Uh, Indian food, man. Yeah, curries. Lamb curries especially. Nice. What's your favourite food city in the world? Food city? After Birmingham, obviously. Oh, um uh, it's got to be Texas, hasn't it, man? Texas, that's not a city, that's a country. <laughs> oh, it's not even a country, it's, it's a state. It's a state. God. Um, Austin's incredible. Um, I love Austin. I love Houston. Um, New Orleans is awesome. Um, Barcelona, I love. Yeah, I could cool. just, yeah, I could just, I love going anywhere. <laughs> I love going to big cities and just discovering new food and, and stuff like that. Yeah, nice. Aside from barbecue food and stuff that you sell to the public, when you're cooking at home, what's just a simple dish that you'll cook regularly? Um, like, it's probably a bit of a cliche, but like ragus is like my thing. Like, just a, a simple, well, I say simple, like a bolognese. Um, example, like um, I cooked myself a lasagna for my birthday last week and it took me like seven hours to cook. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but yeah, just like any ragus, any slow braised like beef, lamb dishes kind of thing, stuff like that. Or um, Indian food as well. I, lo- I love cooking like, uh, I cook dolls and a lot of um, vegetarian Indian food at home. Nice. So that was. Yeah, we're done. Thanks very much, Andy. Yeah, really thank appreciate you very it. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Hey everyone, massive thank you for listening. We absolutely love making these episodes and bringing you the story of some of the best people in the food industry in Birmingham. As we said before, we love Birmingham and its food scene and we think it's truly special. So if you agree, do us one big favour. All you have to do is rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps promote the podcast and gets us listened to by more people and gets more people to listen to how great Birmingham is and 
we would really appreciate it if you could do that for us. Until next time, thanks again for listening.